Welcome to the Gut Doctor Podcast, where Dr. Neil Parikh describes GI disorders and answers common questions related to the GI tract. Please note this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We hope you enjoy. So I love coffee, but what are the benefits of coffee and what are the risks of coffee? To help us answer some of these questions, I'd like to welcome Dr. Vaishal Tolia, Professor of Internal Medicine and Emergency Medicine at the University of California in San Diego. Vaishal, thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Neil. It's a pleasure to be here, and I'm really happy to be able to talk about one of my favorite topics in the world, coffee. So, Vaishal, when we think of coffee, we think of caffeine, but there are obviously other ingredients as well. What else is in coffee? Yeah, I mean, there are a tremendous number of biologically active compounds in coffee. And, you know, drinking a cup of coffee is actually quite remarkable with the number of, you know, different beneficial chemicals that are in coffee. It has actually over 100 biologically active compounds. Uh, One of the most common and useful ones for the health perspective uh, are polyphenols. In addition to caffeine, caffeine is what people usually drink coffee for, but there are a tremendous uh, number of other beneficial compounds in in a cup of coffee. I've heard of polyphenols before, antioxidants. Let's talk benefits. Should we go maybe system by system? Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk cardiac benefits first. Where do you see coffee and its ingredients when it comes to the cardiovascular system? Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a tremendous amount of uh, benefits, you know, really in multiple systems. And, and I, I will start by saying that, you know, the, the benefits of caffeine that we talk about um, are mostly an association. There's a number of studies out there talking about coffee and the benefits, you know, in all the systems that we're, we're going to talk about. But many of these are population studies, they're meta-analyses, which means groupings of of many different studies together um, and and observational studies with with caffeine consumption reported by questionnaires and by individuals themselves. So there are certainly some limitations to the study. And I really want your listeners to know that what we're talking about is often just an association and not necessarily, you know, something that's going to, you know, cure disease or, or, you know, make a tremendous difference in, in different disease states. However, the, the studies that have been out there for a number of years talking about, you know, improvements in health and mortality and benefits to multiple different systems are, are generally population studies that have a large number of people that have been followed over a long period of time. And before getting into some of the cardiovascular benefits, you know, the, the study that really made me think about the health benefits of coffee was when I was reading the Annals of Internal Medicine uh, in 2017. They had a study that was entitled the European Prospective Investigation into Cancer Nutrition, which actually had over 500,000 people uh, from 10 European countries enrolled into that study. And really, you know, the the results were quite remarkable um, with a, a reduced risk of, of death and, and uh, multiple uh, morbidity, mortality from multiple you know, different uh, causes in a number of different uh, countries and ethnic backgrounds and so on. So it, it actually showed that, that there was a tremendous benefit to drinking coffee in this large population. Now, again, this is an association 
uh, and it's not you know something causative, but it's it's you know has a pretty strong linkage. And I think that from a public health perspective, there's a, a benefit for people drinking coffee, and we can talk about the different types of coffee. So specifically, when you when you ask me about cardiovascular benefits, there does seem to be number one a, a reduced mortality um, or risk of death from you know drinking coffee from coffee drinkers versus not coffee drinkers. And then the amount really kind of varies. It's it seems like the the magic number in most of these studies is anywhere from two cups of coffee to about four cups of coffee. So there is some potential protection against um, the risk of MIs. Uh, there's also a benefit uh, towards patients uh, with uh, developing heart failure as well. Some of the, the cardiovascular health studies and the Framingham studies essentially said that those who drink uh, anywhere from two to four cups of coffee a day um, have a reduction uh, in the risk of developing heart failure. So again, these are associations, but there, there seems to be a certain cardiovascular benefit uh, for coffee drinkers. Okay, well, those are some large studies. The Annals paper you just referenced, 500,000 patients. And if we were discussing the Framingham Heart Study, that's been going on for 70 years. So again, even if this is correlative data and not cause and effect data, that's still very impressive data if you're saying that coffee drinkers are less likely to have overall cardiovascular death or the risk of MI or heart attacks versus non-coffee drinkers. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, I think there's always this uh, linkage because, you know, with the good, we should always talk about the bad. So the linkage of, you know, caffeine intake uh, and, and some of the stimulant effect that it has and, and the trigger potentially for uh, cardiac arrhythmias, uh, et cetera, you know, it's, it's not considered a really long-term risk for, for heart disease, but in patients that are very susceptible to developing arrhythmias, you know, coffee consumption should just be considered in moderation. So that's just the one sort of thing that we should, you know, make sure we, we mention here. So going down from cardiovascular to let's talk neurologic, let's talk stroke, dementia, Parkinson's, let's talk the brain and coffee. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the, the neurologic and cognitive uh, effects of caffeine and coffee are some of the reasons why it's such a widely used uh, drug, really, and, and, and chemical uh, around the world, you know, um, billions of people drink coffee, you know, every day. And, and this is this is really the reason why and a lot of those, you know, behavioral, cognitive effects are, are kind of dose dependent. Uh, and, and one of the things we know is that, you know, caffeine has been shown to really improve mood, cognition, um, it affects decision making, executive functioning, uh, learning. I mean, there's been studies even on um, on pilots when they do simulation and the reduction in errors with caffeine consumption. So there's certainly you know improved reasoning, orientation, memory, um, and a lot of those things when compared to non-coffee drinkers. And that's really that level of alertness. That's one of the reasons why you know people wake up uh, and can't start their day like me uh, without uh, their favorite cup of coffee in the morning. There are also, you know, uh, other benefits neurologically for for caffeine. Um, you did mention the the impact on on potential impact on Parkinson's disease, which has been described in several studies. Uh, and a fairly larger meta analysis really showed that you know there is you know uh, coffee or tea intake a, a dose relationship 
uh, and a decreased risk for developing uh, Parkinson's disease. Um, so, you know, that's that's certainly one of the, the many benefits. I, I think the one that's gotten more press recently is that, you know, a, a potentially small protective effect uh, against uh, the development uh, of Alzheimer's disease and other dementias. So that's, you know, certainly something that's been talked about. Again, there's it's association and not necessarily, you know, causative in terms of full protection against Alzheimer's disease. But like with a lot of these, these illnesses, there seems to be a trend towards an association with, you know, coffee consumption and reduced risk of things like Parkinson's disease um, and Alzheimer's disease, for example. There is, however, you know, a little bit of increase in patients with like neuropsychiatric issues. So things like anxiety, panic, um, sleep issues, things like that um, tend to be exacerbated with, um, with the use of caffeine. So I am no pilot, but I will agree with you that coffee does increase my alertness and my executive function. Um, but in all seriousness, just like we discussed with the cardiac benefits, there could be cardiac risks. And similar with neurologic benefits, there could be some neuropsychiatric risks. So with every medication, with every drug, pharmaceutical or otherwise, we always want to balance the risks and benefits. And I, I appreciate you giving us both sides of that coin. That being said, I love my morning coffee and I'm 100% with you on the alertness. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, more than 150 million people in the United States, I think, agree with us as well since they uh, <laughs> drink coffee on a daily basis. So, you know, uh, in, in many senses, it is in the water. So if it's truly everywhere and so many of us are drinking it every day, I think it's important to discuss how we prepare our coffee. Let me ask you, is there a healthier way of preparing coffee in terms of blood sugar, cardiac disease? Yeah, I, you know, I think most of these studies really focus on, you know, coffee in its sort of purest form with you know, just black coffee of various types. Now, you know, we could get into some of the weeds of, of, of roasting and preparation methods and brewing and so on, uh, and the type of beans that are used, um, whether they're light roast, medium roast, dark roast, and they all have, you know, various amounts of these biologically active compounds and chemicals and even caffeine. Um, so there, there is some variability in you know, the, the preparation methods and even the individual aspects of preparation. But with that being said, you know, a lot of the health benefits come from you know, pure black coffee alone. As soon as you start really adding to coffee with all the sweeteners and you know, dairy or non-dairy um, you know, additives, uh, sugar, sugary, um, you know, substitutes, uh, chocolate, syrups, vanilla, those those kind of things. It certainly alters and maybe even um, eliminates some of the health benefits that we're seeing. So, you know, there's, again, a lot of variety in preparation, but the main health benefits that we're seeing are from a regular cup of black coffee. And when you talk about diabetes and the the benefit to diabetes, it's actually interesting because some of the benefits are actually seen uh, even in, in decaf coffee. And that's not necessarily the case for the other systems that we've talked about, but particularly with diabetes uh, and the, the improvement in insulin sensitivity um, or decreased insulin resistance, uh, the improvement in uh, A1C reduction that's seen in coffee drinkers, that same benefit is actually seen even in those who drink decaf. So it's clearly the 
other biologically active compounds within a cup of decaf or coffee that are showing the trend towards this improvement in those who have diabetes with lower hemoglobin A1C concentrations, um, or even you know the, the risk of developing type 2 diabetes. Wow, so coffee really is the panacea. Even a cup of decaf black coffee could theoretically improve one's insulin sensitivity and reduce one's A1C. Gonna stress just like you did, this is correlative data, but it is impressive data. Of course, if you then add your artificial sweeteners, your chocolate syrup, you are gonna mitigate some of these benefits. Yeah, and you know, absolutely. And you know, we mentioned at the beginning of the the show um, the polyphenols. So you know, one of the the most well known polyphenols in uh, a cup of coffee is chlorogenic acid, and it's also found in black tea. And, and really, the benefits of all these numerous compounds within a cup of coffee outside of caffeine is that they are, you know, antioxidants, they have anti-inflammatory properties. Uh, and, and a lot of these systemic illnesses are thought to at a cellular level, be related to, you know, some inflammatory process. So, you know, that, that reduction in that, you know, inflammatory cascade, um, I mean, there's even, you know, changes in, you know, tumor suppressor genes and, and you know, more improvement in, in cellular repair um, enzymes and, and things like that. So, you know, there's, there's a wide variety of benefits, but many of them come from these, these compounds outside of caffeine. I love that you just mentioned polyphenols because it's a perfect segue into our next topic. So whenever I think of polyphenols, I think of the gut, you know, since what I do is very gut centric and I think of, you know, benefits of polyphenols, antioxidants, and red wine. So since we are a GI podcast, let's go ahead and transition to the gut. Earlier in the show, you mentioned a 2017 paper in the Annals of Internal Medicine, you know, where they had the 500,000 patients, and you talked about reduction in cardiovascular mortality. If I am correct, there was also a reduction in mortality associated with GI conditions in the same study. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think some of the more dramatic data really comes from uh, the, you know, improvement or reduction in risk of complications in, in, in patients with, um, you know, either gastrointestinal issues of various types. So, you know, it's, it's intimidating to talk, you know, about the gut to the gut doctor himself and your listeners, but, you know, I'll, I'll certainly give it a try. You know, you know, the one thing we know about uh, caffeine specifically is, you know, that it, it's a smooth muscle uh, stimulant uh, and, you know, it's, it's associated with a reduction in, you know, constipation like symptoms for many uh, patients, not everybody, but for, for many. Um, but the interesting, you know, piece of literature from not only that, that European study, but even other, the UK Biobank study, which also came out in 2017, uh, and a number of other, you know, meta-analysis and smaller studies is that, uh, you know, there's been an association with uh, a decreased risk of cirrhosis uh, in a number, again, a number of studies compared to non-coffee drinkers. Um, there's, for patients with hepatitis C, uh, there's a, a reduction in the risk of disease progression. Um, and, and in particular, there's probably a, a pretty strong, uh, you know, data in uh, some protective factors against uh, liver cancer or hepatocellular carcinoma. Um, so, you know, I think there's, 
there's certainly probably more studies and data specifically um, with you know liver disease in particular. Um, for in terms of colorectal cancer, you know there's there's some conflicting evidence that um, there may be a, a risk a reduced risk of colorectal cancer with with coffee consumption. And you know that takes me back to some of the older literature on coffee that you may have seen 30, 40 years ago, which actually said, you know, there's an increased risk of peptic ulcer disease and, and malignancies like lung cancer and, and, and several other ailments. And those studies were done in you know a bit of a different era. And when when we went back and looked at those studies and started controlling for some of the other variables that were not really looked at at that time it was clear that some of the other environmental and behavioral factors were the ones actually contributing to disease and it was not caffeine consumption. So there was, you know, a higher, higher incidence of, of, of tobacco use and, and heavy smoking in many of those patients that was not really controlled for. So the thought was that many of the original studies that, you know, talked a lot about, oh, the risk of, of, you know, uh, cancer and peptic ulcer disease and so on in, in patients that drink coffee were really debunked uh, and obviously linked to what we know now as uh, tobacco and, and smoking. So, you know, that there's there's clearly some protective effect on multiple different areas. I think, you know, some of the evidence is still lacking in certain areas, but it seems like for liver disease in particular, there seems to be probably the strongest evidence for the benefits of, of a cup of coffee. So uh, it's fair to say for constipation, and liver disease, you know, the data is more supportive. And I think that was a very important perspective you just gave us that maybe some of the older studies, you know, gave coffee a bad reputation, if I may channel my inner Taylor Swift there, because there were confounders. And so while the jury may still be out on coffee and colorectal cancer, we may just need more data. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. And really, you know, when you look at, you know, cancer in general, there seems to be from, you know, these large populations, you know, uh, an overall kind of slight risk reduction uh, in, in even other cancers as well outside of the GI tract. So when we look at endometrial cancer, uh, ovarian cancer, um, certainly there's no risk between caffeine consumption and the development of these cancers. There may be an association with some uh, protective effects. Uh, you know, I, I think the, the one study that um, looked at a cancer that found a small increase was in uh, bladder cancer. But when, when you look at all these various studies, the, the association is actually quite weak. So I, I definitely want to make sure we mention that there's, um, you know, again, those studies didn't really control as well for, um, for smoking, which we know is a, a strong risk factor for bladder cancer. Vishal, when is it too much coffee? Are there any recommendations for the average adult? Yeah, no, I mean, that's a great question. And, you know, I, I think that, that, you know, as time goes on and people drink more and more coffee, sometimes it does take, you know, that extra cup here and there uh, to, to feel the same effects of coffee. I mean, the, the recommendations uh, out there are, you know, around 400 milligrams of, of caffeine per day seems to be, you know, safe. You know, I've, I've seen recommendations up to 500 milligrams of, of caffeine. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the typical um, cup of coffee uh, in the United States, at least, 
is, you know, somewhere between, you know, 100, 150 milligrams of caffeine. So when you look at the average consumption of coffee um, in the United States, it's the average is about two cups, which, you know, somewhere between 250 and 300 milligrams uh, of coffee per day. And a lot of the studies that talk about health benefits of, of coffee itself is somewhere between two and four cups. So you're, you're approaching that, that higher end limit, um, but not necessarily exceeding it to the point where you could have, you know, adverse effects. And, and you know, I should mention there are other forms of, of caffeine that people, you know, take in that don't have the other beneficial compounds of a cup of coffee. So for example, a lot of my residents will be drinking energy drinks of various types uh, during a, a typical shift in the emergency department. Uh, and, you know, those if you look at those labels, it's really interesting because they talk about, you know, many of the health benefits that these drinks have for energy and alertness and so on. And it's true that the caffeine uh, content in there will help with that, that, you know, executive functioning and alertness and so on. But they also have a number of other compounds in there that may or may not be beneficial. Uh, I really don't know if, if they are, if they're not. Um, but they tend to also have a lot of sugar and, and many other compounds and chemicals that that could negate the same effect that you know you could have with a cup of coffee that gives you that alertness, the caffeine, the stimulant effect, um, and and also has the other benefits that we talked about with the polyphenols and uh, and the other antioxidant compounds. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because a lot of us, whether in residency or beyond, do drink coffee for its caffeine. And there are a variety of caffeine alternatives. Um, but the point you bring up is that with coffee, you may not only get the caffeine, but you may get these other benefits from the 100 biological, the active compounds, the polyphenols, the antioxidants. And these benefits may not be as present in other caffeine alternatives, and there may be the, the negative side effects of sugar content in energy drinks, for example. So Vishal, as we start to wrap up here, what is your go-to coffee style? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think for me, it, it's it's part of my morning routine. So, you know, just looking at the coffee process as a whole, you know, there's there there's two you know major types of of beans that are out there. Um, you know, robusta and arabica are the two main types of green beans that get distributed around the world. They get roasted, and that roasting profile is is very kind of uh, specific to you know different roasters and companies and and now with a lot of small batch micro roasters around uh, around the world really but certainly around the country you know everyone has their own different kind of style of you know washing and roasting and 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 preparing so you know i i have the opportunity to, to you know order beans from all over the country and you know my my go to uh, preparation method is using a chemex so chemex is sort of a, a large kind of beaker uh, that uses, uh, you know, a fairly thick uh, filter paper. And I think that really makes the coffee uh, really smooth. So the typical ratio between coffee uh, and water is really 16 grams of coffee, uh, of water to per gram of, of ground coffee. Uh, and I, I think having the right coffee grinder is really important. You want to focus on having a burr grinder, which doesn't really damage the coffee and preserves a lot of that, the flavors, the acids, uh, and a lot of the chemicals. You know, some of the antioxidants 
uh, will get filtered uh, using filter paper. Um, but I think you get the smoothest cup uh, and the best taste uh, with the Chemex. And that usually, you know, allows me to make uh, two cups for uh, my wife and myself every morning. Uh, if I'm if I'm drinking coffee on my own uh, or if I'm traveling, I, I certainly like the AeroPress. That's that's my go to. Um, and more recently, I've been uh, using something called a Clever Dripper, which uh, allows for the, the coffee grounds to be immersed in water and then filtered out um, through uh, through paper uh, and, and kind of gravitationally. So so that's that's really a, a, a benefit of, of the different methods and styles uh, of coffee. You can take literally the same, you know, beans, grind them differently, use different temperature water uh, and, and, and different preparation methods. And you get, you know, very different flavor profiles through that. But despite that flavor, you're still getting all these health benefits that we've talked about. The one thing I do want to mention is that, you know, light and medium roasts, though, you know, have a little bit more of that fruity, acidic type taste, Whereas darker roasts are a little more of that like kind of chocolatey, full-bodied um, types of coffee. The darker roasts actually have less caffeine than the lighter roasts. So the more a coffee is roasted, the less caffeine content it has. So, you know, for the, the most caffeine in a cup of coffee, you want to stick to some light and medium roasts, which is what I usually go with. Wow. That explanation was quite the tour de force. Um, I'm a little embarrassed to now share... Uh, my three steps, which may or may not in involve pressing an on button and placing a pod. Vaishal, this episode has been both informative and interesting. Thank you very much for your time. No, I, I really appreciate it. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. And uh, I think, you know, I'm going to go have a cup of coffee.